I invite you to open up to Luke chapter 22 in your Bible. Luke chapter 22. And let's once again open up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for the goodness that you bestow upon us, Lord. We thank you that we get to serve you, Father. And I personally thank you for all the days that you've allowed me to serve you. Father, thank you for each week, Lord, that I've been able to preach. I pray, Lord, that you would um, just completely use our service today, Father, for your glory. Thank you for everyone that showed up. I pray, Lord, that, Father, that word of God would grip us and remind us of some things. And, and Father, that you would just do a mighty work. And Lord, we pray that your will would be done, and Father, both now and going forward in the future, and we ask now for your presence to be readily known. We pray all this now in Jesus' name, amen. It's amazing what little things might trigger great memories, or big memories, or vivid memories, Uh, whether it be a particular smell. If I were to ask you, is there a certain smell that might remind you of something? Like I can think back to... um, the smell of wet grass reminding me of football games that we played. Um, it might be a carnival smell or something like that. Or, or something from a, a song that you hear and immediately something from your past is brought to the forefront of your mind that now it's, it's as if it's right there. Or maybe it is, is just a, a nostalgic place that you may drive past and be flooded with all childhood memories and, and things of li- like that that will bring back all of those different things. And, and I, I, there's been times in my life where I've been in a store and heard a song that I haven't heard from, since high school and immediately I'll be brought back to that place. There are a lot of triggers like that. Mine's a powerful thing. A lot of things that uh, may bring something, a memory or something in our past right to the forefront of our minds in a vivid way. I want you to look at Luke chapter 22 for, just, for a little while. Luke 22, the scene is the Last Supper, the last meal before the crucifixion of Christ. The mood isn't necessarily what you would think it would be. Verse number 24, the Bible says, And there was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So we find here that as it's the night before Jesus is going to die. And the mood in the room, the mood in, amongst the disciples, isn't taking the last moments with Christ and and, and sitting with them and living with them and, 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 and with him and, and enjoying that and capturing that. They're arguing over who is the greatest. They're arguing with, Lord, when the kingdom comes, I'm going to be in charge, aren't I? No, 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 I'm going to be in charge. Jesus, would you just settle the argument? Who's going to be the best in the kingdom? And it almost seems like a playground conversation. I can beat you up or my dad can beat your dad up and things like that. It doesn't seem like a conversation that would be consistent with a group of 12 disciples who had Christ in their, daily pre- in their daily presence day in and day out for three and a half years. It seems really childish, immature, say the least, arrogant and proud. Look down at verse number 31. And the Lord said to Simon, well, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Of course, Jesus sees what we cannot see. He knows what tomorrow will bring when we don't know what tomorrow may bring. 
And he picks out Peter. Remember, this is the night before Jesus is going to die. There's a lot of important things that are probably flooding Jesus' mind. There's a lot of things, that the anguish of it, the, 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 the humanity of it, the pain that he'd been anticipating in all of it. And yet, he plucks out Peter and he says, Peter, because I'm God and I know all things, I know this, that Satan has desired to sift you. He desires to have you. He's targeted you today. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty rough truth. That Satan, because you know Satan's not omnipresent. Satan is a singular being. Demons are, are, are multitudes. And so you might have demons attacking you. But what about when Satan himself shows up? And the Bible here says that Satan has desired you, Peter. He wants you by name. He wants to sift you as wheat. But then Jesus says something amazing. He says, but I have prayed for you. Man, what is it like for Jesus to pray for us? And what a battle it seems that both Satan and Christ are having this tug of war of sorts over Peter. Now Peter hears this and in Peter-like fashion. He responds, verse number 33, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. So Peter in bold proclamation says, oh, you don't got to worry about me. Satan's not going to get me today. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go to prison. Do you ever wonder what it would be like if Satan really wanted to get you today? What that might look like? There have been times in our lives where Satan tried to get us, and he did, and it felt like maybe a 2 on the 10 scale. And then there are times when Satan tries to get you, and he dials it up to like an 8 or 9 on the 10 scale. Peter feels like many of us probably do at times. Oh, I got this. Today's going to be a fine day. Don't worry about it. I'm good. I'm good to go. Don't you worry about it at all. No reason to worry. I'll die. I'll, I'll go to death. I'll go to prison. And he's bold and he's confident and he, he believes this to be true. He believes that nothing Satan will do will really get him. You know, I wonder how much, how many things Satan would love to do to ruin our lives, but God has just stopped it. Just short of that. Verse number 34. The Bible says, and he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. He says, Peter, matter of fact, tonight, and we've preached through these passages before, but I want to bring something else out tonight that, that I have mentioned in, in years gone by, but I want to bring it to the forefront today. He says, Peter, as much as you'd like to be bold, and as much as you'd like to be confident, as much as you'd like to be relaxed, and as much as you would like to be fine, as much as you would like to not sin today, I'm going to tell you this, that tonight you will deny even knowing me three separate times. Three separate times you will deny even knowing who I am. Now in Peter's mind, he, he is thinking, there's no way I'm going to deny you. I'm one of your closest disciples. I've seen the miracles. I've seen the persecution. I've heard the prophecies. I've heard the power in your preaching. I know it all. I'm not going anywhere. Why would I deny you? 
And yet, verse number 54. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed far off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him, and he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon him, Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Of course, many of you know what happens here. But Jesus is arrested in the early mornings of the garden there, being betrayed by Judas and as he's being taken away, the Bible says all forsook him. All the disciples basically began to scatter. Any of the other fringe disciples, if you will, the, the greater of the crowd that had participated in the miracles and were following to see, they also began to forsake. It was one of the lowest points while Jesus was yet alive because all those people that followed him and all those people that supported him and all those people that were blessed by him all scattered because they were afraid. He was now arrested and they didn't want to be numbered among him. And so it comes as Peter's kind of like mingling in the crowd and they've taken Jesus a little bit further off and, and he sits down in the court where, where he's being brought into trial and Peter begins to sit down amongst the fire and someone says, wait a second, you're one of the disciples. You're one of his followers. And in Peter's mind, he's thinking this is bad news because if they're going to arrest him and kill him and he's the one that's in charge of us, they're going to arrest and kill me because I have nobody to protect me or, or I don't want to be numbered. Whatever it was, he sat there and said, I don't even know him. Jesus who? Woman, I know him not. A little while later, somebody else says, hey, you're one of those disciples. And he said, man, I am not. And a little while later, after an hour, somebody else says, wait a second. You have an accent just like those from Galilee. And people have already pointed to you that you knew him. You know him. And elsewhere in the Bible, it says that he cursed and said, I know him not. And isn't it amazing? It was only after the third time that Peter remembered what Jesus had said. And immediately, as those words flooded in, and as the color from his face drained, as his heart began to be crushed with, with shame and guilt, he went out and weeping, bitterly why did i just do that how could i have allowed this why did this happen and he went out and as he was going out it's the cock that crew the rooster that shouted out 
that brought this memory to him. And I would have to imagine that this is the lowest point in Peter's life. It has to be the worst that Peter has ever felt. Especially since having started to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He promised to never waver, yet not only has he wavered, he denied. It must have been unimaginable and the rooster crowing and Jesus turning and looking at him and as their eyes met and Peter remembered and ran away bitterly. What a horrible experience. What a regretful set of actions. What absolute failure. But I want you to consider something for a few moments. The culture and times back then were different than they are today, of course. They didn't have technology like we do. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have cars. They didn't have cell phones. And you know what else they didn't have? Alarm clocks. And didn't have alarms on their cell phones. Or alarms at all. And you might say, what are you getting at with this? Back in those days, and even up until more recent days, before modern technology in the last 75 years, if a person needed to get up in the morning, and he didn't have an alarm clock, what did he wait for? The rooster to crow. And that would wake up everybody around on the farm, or everybody in the neighborhood. I remember when I was growing up and lived in Mastic, two houses down was a guy that owned like 100 chickens, and all day long, the rooster, boom, 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 every morning, boom. If you have a rooster in your area, you know. How many, how, does anyone have a rooster in their area that they can hear? A couple of you do, so you know. We're not playing around. This is real. Verse 60 again. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered, oh, actually, verse 60, and Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew, the rooster crewed, crowed. And the Lord turned and looked upon him, Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. What triggered the thought of this failure? It was the very moment when the rooster crowed that Peter remembered what the Lord had said. And it was upon that noise that reminded him that in fact he had denied God three times. Now think about it. For me it might be a song. For, for you it might be a smell. For someone else it might be something else. But those memories or those senses that are brought in immediately flood back a memory. Peter, it was something different. He went out and wept bitterly because he denied the Lord three times. He began to understand what he had done. And there was nothing he could do to take it back. But guess what happened a day after his failure? The rooster crowed. And a day after that, the rooster crowed. And a day after that, the rooster crowed. Let me, remind, let me, let me get to what I'm saying. Every time the rooster crowed, it would have been a reminder of Peter's failure and that failure reminder would have been every single day every single day and there is little doubt in my mind that when peter would hear that on a daily basis some part of him would be brought back to the pain and the regret of the lowest part of his life. It was a sick reminder every single day. 
No matter how hard he would have tried to get away from the memory, the rooster would have reminded him. And no wonder that Peter, not long after this, had this feeling. I go a-fishing. You know what I go a-fishing means? It means I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. And you've heard me say this before. Earlier on in Peter's life, when he was a fisherman, Jesus called to him and said, no longer will you be a fisherman I will make you a fisher of men. Meaning you're going to be one of my workers. You're going to be one of my servants. You're going to be one of my preachers. You're going to be one of my evangelists. Peter feels he's failed. He can't live with the guilt. He can't live with the failure. I can't do this anymore. I go fishing. It means I'm going back to my old life. I, I can't handle this anymore. And now, here, I want you to be clear. I want to be clear on this. Satan had leverage to attack Peter every single day and remind him of his sin. Do you know that when we sin, we give ammunition to Satan to use against us the rest of our lives? To remind us of our failures. To remind us of our low points. To remind us of when we hurt people. To remind us of the times we should have done that, but we didn't. And we could have done that, and we didn't. And we shouldn't have done that, and we did. And can I tell you that there's, no, there's not a lot of difference between Peter and us. Our sin is great, and Satan is the accuser of the brethren. What that means is that he takes our past, and he takes our sin, and he constantly accuses us, and reminds us, and reminds others, and reminds us, so, we want, so He can try to get us to live back in that failure. He wants us to live defeated and weak. And there might be some sins that you and I have committed that we can forget. But there are probably some sins that you've committed that you wish you could forget. Or maybe there's a season in your life that you wish you didn't have to be reminded of. And though it might not be a rooster that reminds you of your sin, I can assure you that Satan wants to find a rooster in your life. Wants to find a way to constantly hold your sin over you on a continual basis. He wants to remind you of your past. He wants to remind you of your present. And He even wants to forecast the future to convince you that you're not going to make it so you may as well quit now. And just as it was horrible for Peter to be reminded of his sin, to be reminded of something that he couldn't take back, even if he wanted to, so too is it horrible for us to be reminded of our failure and our sin and our rebellion. And this is my hope this morning. That the Holy Spirit will lead you to Christ for forgiveness of any sin that's not been dealt with. And then lead you to freedom from the reminder of your sins that have already been dealt with. See, when we go to... See, there's a difference between conviction and guilt. Conviction is that pull, that urge, that feeling, if you will, where God is drawing you to Him so you confess before Him and be forgiven. Once you're forgiven by Jesus Christ, it's done. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. When we get saved, all of our sins are gone. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's washed away. But do you know what Satan doesn't care about? That which Jesus has washed away. And so Satan brings upon guilt and shame on a constant basis. And you might even have this conversation, that's been dealt with, that's been forgiven. And Satan comes and says, no, no, no. So I want you to notice a few reasons why Satan tries to remind us of our sins and all failures. So I'm going to give you a few reasons. Number one, to tempt us. One of the hopes of Satan in reminding you of your sins is the hope that he might be able to allure you back to the attraction of that sin. Maybe it's something that you've beaten yourself over. Maybe it's something you have sought to get right. Maybe it's something you wish you could take back. And then Satan comes to shove your face in it over and over again. And if you're not careful, if you're not walking with God, it might not be very long before you find yourself starting to be attracted to it again. You've fallen into sin, you're convicted, you get it right, and you push yourself away from those opportunities for sin, and then Satan wants to come to bring you back. My dad was, was an alcoholic and then went into recovery and, and got victory over it. But he would still tell me that he would not go out at night after 10 o'clock, he called it the witching hour, because he didn't want to find himself near a bar by himself at night, even years after his recovery. Why? Because he was, he was an addict, and he was not comfortable with Satan bringing his past into his present and then him failing. So sometimes Satan will bring your past to your mind in hopes that he can drag you back into it. Satan never wants you to get too far from your old ways. He never wants you to get too far from your sin. The Thessalonian church was one of the best churches in the entire uh, New Testament, and Paul admired their faith. He had worked with them for just a little bit, and that little bit sparked a fire within them concerning God. But when Paul wrote back to them, one of the things he wrote was this, and this is in 1 Thessalonians 3.5, to condemn us for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Paul said, I know our enemy, he's a tempter. He's not just an accuser. He's a tempter. And Satan is the tempter wanting to ruin your walk with God and wanting to ruin your family and wanting to ruin your life. And one of the ways he tempts you is possibly with a rooster in your life. Where maybe you begin to think, man, those were the good times. Those were the good days. Oh man, just let me, let me just try that again. And the reality is, Satan is also a liar. Because he always tries to make your sin more attractive than it really was. And always leaves out the consequence part and the ruined relationship with God part and the ruined lives part. He wants, to constantly, he wants you to constantly struggle in besetting sins and constantly fall 
in love with sin over and over again. He wants you to, to own you with your sin. And sometimes the way He does it is to try to remind you of it. But that's not the only reason God reminds us of it. See, when God reminds me of my past, it's never to tempt me with it. It's this next reason, to condemn. So He wants to tempt us, but number two, He wants to condemn us. Satan wants to hold your past over your head and shove it in your face because he wants to condemn you with your past. And it's a very powerful tool. And I wonder if Adam and Eve, every time they went to the garden, or a garden after they were banished out of that, every time they got a fruit, I wonder if they were reminded of what was lost in the taking of the fruit. What, what, what blessings were forfeited. What future uh, habitation was put aside because they took the forbidden fruit. Because they took what they shouldn't. I wonder if every time Abraham looked at Ishmael and Hagar, if he wasn't reminded of his sin. I wonder if every time David looked up at a rooftop, he wasn't rem- or every time he took a bath, if, if Satan didn't remind him of his sin. It's like he is whispering in our ear with a chuckle. And for Peter, it must have been every single day when he heard the rooster crow that he was reminded of what he had done to Christ. Because Satan loves to condemn the brethren. He loves to challenge our faithfulness to God. He loves to accuse us with things, oh, you're a follower of God, are you? What about this? Do you remember this? And you might say, no, I've already gotten that right with God. Do you remember this? And you constantly have to go through. And we know that Satan is also a liar. So it doesn't even matter if he gets it right, the facts straight or not. He is a deceiver. How can you say you love God? We both know what you did. We both know what you said. We both saw your attitude. And we sit there and we hear and we're reminded of our sin. And we feel defeated. And we say, yeah, I guess you're right. I want to read to you a, a, a verse from Revelation chapter 12. The Bible says this in Revelation 12.10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. We're told that one of Satan's activities is to go before God and accuse us before Him day and night as if He has nothing else better to do. He literally goes up there and, 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 and like a little tattletale, if you will, and says, did you see what they did? Did you see what they did? Did you see? Do you remember what they did? Do you remember what they did? Did you see what they did? And then he comes to accuse us. Do you remember what you did? Do you remember what you did? To condemn, to condemn. And he wants to convince you that God hates you and he wants to convince you that God is done with you because of sin. He wants you to give up because God's already given up on you is the mindset. And He wants you to live defeated and discouraged and depressed over your past, over your weaknesses. And so to do this, He constantly reminds you of your sin. And as if you didn't know already, Satan has far more energy than we do. And he's relentless. 
and he's a, a roaring lion seeking him may devour. You wish he would just get tired and go away. You wish he'd just leave you alone. You wish he would just stop. But he doesn't. And by the way, maybe you don't have a past. You be warned that Satan is going to try to get you to have a past by trying to interfere with your life now. To try to get you to mess up now. So you have, so you have something to, to have a reproach against you or against the people of God or against the church. But what I want to say to you this morning is, wait a second. If Satan gets a chance to remind you of some things, then I think God ought to get a chance to remind us of some, some things. And I want God to remind us of what His Word says. And so get this please, because if you and I are going to have victory over Satan's accusations and Satan's reminder of the past and Satan's condemnation over you, then you and I are going to have to, uh, we're going to, have to um, give our already forgiven past over to God. If you've been saved and you've, been, and you've confessed to God, whatever it is, then your past is forgiven. And you're going to have to remind yourself that it's been forgiven. And if you have a past that's not been forgiven, or you have sin in your life that's not been forgiven, then today would be the day to run to Christ and get that right. Either to get saved or to get it right. But I want to remind you of a few things that will help us. So if you're going to write these, anything down, write this down. As Satan's going to remind you of your past, and remind you of your sin, or remind you of your failures, or laden you with guilt, and laden you with shame, and laden you with regret. And I want to remind you of some things from the Word of God which is sharper than any two-edged sword. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Did you hear what it says? There is now no condemnation no matter what satan brings no matter what railing accusation there is therefore now no condemnation why not colossians 2 14 tells us blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to the cross all those lists of accusations of sins you've done Failures you've been, you, you've been involved in, iniquities and trespasses and everything else ugly. Write them down. Here's all of it. Here's all of what they've done in their whole entire life. Jesus Christ took that. He put it on the cross. He nailed it and blotted it out with His blood. He took it out of the way. There is now therefore no accusation against you because of Christ. There's no condemnation because Jesus took those crimes and blotted them out. He took upon Him who knew no sin. He took our sin that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in Him. So you listen up carefully. If you're saved today, there is no record of your sin in the eyes of God. None whatsoever. Jesus has literally taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross, and it doesn't exist any longer. And we ought to say as believers, hallelujah, amen to that, because if you're a sinner today and you're saved, that ought to make us excited. Even though Satan's going to haunt us with it, in the eyes of God, we're forgiven. And when Satan goes up to heaven, think about this. Last week we talked about the great white throne judgment, and we talked about the Lamb's book of life, and we talked about the names that were written, and whosoever was named was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. And we talked about people going to the book and trying to find their name and not being able to find it. 
Guess what? When Satan goes up there and tries to make an accusation against us, there is no record of our sin in heaven. Why? Because he had taken it out of the way. That is the Gospel. And the difference, the difference between legalism and the Gospel. Get this. The difference between legalism and the Gospel is that legalism says where you've gone wrong and proves to you your guilt. And then there's nothing but condemnation. There is no solution but condemnation, uh, punishment, consequence, jail, uh, death, uh, uh, penalty, whatever it is. That's legalism. Legalism says you broke the law, you pay for it. The Gospel says you broke the law, but I paid for it. You don't have to pay for it at all. What happens sometimes is churches want to take both and say Christ paid, but we want you to pay. But the gospel is good news. Condemnation comes, no good news. Legalism, no good news. The law, no good news. The gospel, condemnation, taken out of the way in Christ and only in Christ. Not by good works, not by efforts, not by sincerity, not by trying really hard, but by Christ and His grace and that's it. Taken out of the way. Do you know why Satan has no ground to hold your sin over you? He has no legal right to? Jeremiah 31-34 And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God said, I will remember their sin no more. Oh, that we would have the same memory as God when it comes to sin. We often have a problem of remembering our sin But as a side note, we often have a problem remembering other people's sin too. We ought to be careful not to be the Satan in someone else's life. To discourage them, to tear them down, to destroy them over things in the past. Because it's easy to attack. The Bible says in Psalm 103.12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, I've separated the sinner from his sin. Do I know else? Satan doesn't have power to hold your sin over your head. Because what we read last week, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire where the beast and false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And you may have heard it like this before. You may, you may have read this on a meme somewhere. But it still preaches and it still plays. When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Because one day he's not going to be ruling and reigning in hell. He will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But in the meantime, he is alive and well on earth. Wrecking havoc, a lion seeking to be made devour to destroy and rip and destroy the body of Christ and destroy church and destroy families and destroy relationships. So yes, we're sinners. Yes, we've broken God's law. 
Yes, we have failures. We ought to own that. That's our story. I wish I could get up and say I've never done a thing wrong. I wish that I didn't have anything shameful. But, through the blood of Christ, all my sins are forgiven. And all my sins are erased. They're taken out of the way. They're nailed to the cross. They're forgotten. They're separated as far as the east is from the west. And all the wrath of God that is for me has been emptied on Christ. And there is not one drop left for me. And that's your testimony too. If you're a believer, that's your testimony too. That there's not one drop left for you. And so when Satan takes a rooster in your life, something that will remind you of your failures, that guilt and that shame that might keep some of you, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I guarantee there's some people in here who are sometimes kept up at night for past regrets. Maybe it's a failure. Maybe it's a series of failures. Maybe it's a season of failures. But you are sometimes up at night ruminating. Constantly thinking over. You know what ruminating is? It's the constant dwelling on something that you can't change. And it's over and over again. And I don't know what triggered it, but that's what Satan does. That's what happens. And when you feel, when you feel that, when you see that, and Satan takes a roost and reminds you, you need to be in an active way to remind yourself that you are not condemned. You are free in Christ. And for Peter, it wasn't until he was able to give his guilt over to God that he was able to get past it. There had to come a point where Peter not only repented of his sin, but gave over his guilt. God, take away my guilt. In a short amount of time, Peter was, I will never fail you. So I failed you three times right before your face on the morning of your death to quitting the ministry altogether, I'm out. To Jesus going to get him. To Him preaching at Pentecost and thousands being saved and then preaching in the temple and thousands more being saved. That's what life is like at times. Satan doesn't want churches to grow. He doesn't want people to be drawn to Christ. He doesn't want people to be forgiven. And he doesn't want people telling other people about Christ. He wants you to live defeated. Like I said before, God brings conviction, the devil brings guilt. And Satan tries to use it for evil, God uses it for good. And, 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 and you remember that what Satan meant for evil, God uses for good. And so, is there a reality where God can use your past failures? To make you better and to make you a servant and to make you stronger. Absolutely. And so we give God our past and we say, God, here, take this and use it to have refined me. As opposed to Satan who wants to draw you back in either to get you tempted or to feel condemned in it. And so when Satan, I also want to give you this advice too, when Satan reminds you of your sin and your past, you let it be a reminder of who you used to be that you're no longer. 
That's who I was. That's not who I am. That's who I was, Satan. That's not who I am. The third thing that Satan does in reminding us of our past, not only to condemn us and to tempt us, but number three and lastly, to discourage us. I want to mention this in brief. Satan might trigger you to think of an offense someone else may have caused you, and you might fall into discouragement of the offense, and Satan can use all this against you. He wants to discourage us to make you feel failed, but he also wants to discourage you ways that people failed you. Tempting you to condemn others who have hurt you because you're discouraged. See, now, here, here's the thing. When someone has sinned against you, or you, you find out about them, or whatever it might be, you get a chance to be Christ or Satan. Christ makes sure it's gotten right and it's forgiven and restored. And we talked about this a couple Thursday nights ago. And Satan reminds and condemns, reminds and condemns and spreads, reminds and condemns. 2 Corinthians 10.5, the Bible says, casting down imaginations into every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So your thoughts might not be one of active sin, but it could be one of discouragement and bitterness. One where someone else's sin has caused you this. Hebrews 12.15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Be careful that Satan doesn't use triggers to keep the root of bitterness growing in your life. Reminding of you of past hurts that you might be bitter at someone else. See, what we're talking about today, and we're just about done, is Satan reminding you. Reminding you of pain that was caused to you and reminding you of pain you may have caused to others, and reminding you of pain you may have caused to God. I don't think there's an, a person in this room who doesn't have regrets. And I don't think there's a Christian in this room who Satan doesn't remind them of those regrets. And I don't think there's probably many of us in this room who have not been hurt by people before. And I know for sure that Satan's going to remind you of those hurts over and over again so you don't get past them. So you don't live victorious. So you don't walk in victory and in forgiveness. I wish I could say nicer things about Satan. But he's about as nasty as you could ever put in words. You mark it down, Satan wants to destroy. And he wants to destroy you along the way. And he'll remind you of it all, no matter what happens. And you can't unknow what you know. And you can't take back what you've done. But give it over to Christ. And walk 
in his grace. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. Maybe the Lord this morning has pointed out your past to you to draw you to Him that you might be forgiven. To be born again. To be saved. Where you're reminded and you have some heavy burdens and you have some heavy guilt that you're walking with. And God says, come to Me and let Me take it. Let Me forgive you. Let me lift off your burden. If you're not sure you've ever been born again, I want to invite you today to come to Christ. You're sitting here today and you'd say this, Pastor Jason, if I were to die today, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. If I were to die today, I don't know for sure I've been forgiven of my sins and I have regrets. Would you pray for me? I'm not sure my sins have been forgiven by God. Would you please pray for me? Would you quietly raise your hand that I might pray for you? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Please pray for me. I see your hand. God bless you. Anybody else today? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. How many people would admit this today? Satan often reminds me of my past, and it does bring me down, and it does discourage me. Would you, help, would you pray that Satan would be bound and that God would give me victory as Satan reminds me. Would you pray that God would help me in that? Would you raise your hand if that's how you struggle of your past and thoughts and regrets? Praise the Lord. My hand's raised too for sure. Let me ask this other question. How many people here are constantly reminded of their pain caused by someone else or something else and you're struggling with forgiving others? If that's your testimony and you want us to pray for that, would you raise your hand? Okay, many hands raised there too. Listen, the reality is there's so much we need to be forgiven for and there's so much we need to forgive others for. And Satan doesn't want any of it. But God wants us all, all of it. And Satan's going to constantly remind you of it. And I'm not saying I know the secret to walking past all this but i'm just telling you satan wants to remind you to condemn you and to tempt you and to discourage you but god wants you to live free in christ and forgiven and whole let's stand to our feet head bowed eyes closed no one looking around as the piano begins to play if you would like to come pray about something maybe it's your past maybe it's satan having a hold of it maybe it's a hurt Maybe it's a present thing. Maybe it's uh, just pray for someone else thing. Why don't you come?
How about you? Is there something you ought to pray for? You can pray in your seat. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You are a trophy of God's grace. You're everything you're, that you weren't. And God's transformed you into something other than what you were. And you're a living testimony of that. And we stand beside you and we say, praise God for how God changes life. Praise God for how He heals. Praise God for how He transforms. And you're a living testament of that. Others, you're still in the beginning process of being transformed. Maybe you still struggle with some of the things, but God's got you on this journey of sanctification. And for others, maybe you've not even begun that journey. Come to Him. Cry out unto Him. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your love and Your goodness. And Father, no doubt Satan attacks over and over and over and over again. Reminding us, triggering us. Father, we are fickle. We are easily deceived, easily manipulated, easily discouraged, sometimes easily proud. Forgive us of all of it, Lord. Lord, you know the hearts of the people. You saw the hands. You, you know what's going on. We pray, Lord, for those that need to be saved, that they would get saved. Father, you know those, Lord, who are struggling with their past regrets. Help them have victory and overcome that. Lord, we know uh, people who are struggling with their past pains and traumas. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them healing in all of that. And Father, for those, Lord, who are being attacked by Satan right now, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just give relief and bind Satan. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for all that you do. And we pray, Lord, that you'd be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.